Hello and welcome to Josh Coleman's podcast, a place to have inspired conversation with interesting people. Hey there. On today's episode, I have Carl Baba. He's a man that I met in India in 2009, and at the time I was studying some more like hippy-dippy, sort of airy-fairy things, and his presence was really intriguing because he was very grounded, and very direct, and very straightforward. Now, later in life, I found a lot of the transmissions that he had given during that time actually came to some sort of fruition of a grounded sense inside me. So I wanted to have him on today. Please enjoy. Hey, Carl. How you doing, man? Yeah, you know what? Life is good. I, I've got uh, no complaints. Um, I sort of look at uh, everything as either a blessing or a, a challenge to evolve from. So kind man. of a win-win situation. I remember seeing that when you your car caught on fire your van caught on fire how many years ago eh <laughs> yeah there's been a few things like that and and it's it's funny i i just kept looking at them of like how can i sort of aikido this into a um into a, something positive and yeah so i my van crashed and burned and i wound up getting like double the insurance money from it and got a much better van and you know got rid of some old stuff and yeah, it all worked out. That's awesome. I just remember when it happened, being like, "Oh shit!" Like it was. A, it looked it like, was a like pretty... two days before Christmas, and I was in a fiery wreck. That's right. I, I crawled out of. I crawled out of it before it burned completely, and was really kind of untouched. I just got wet. So <laughs> I just, I just got wet. Lucky. That could be the tagline. On my way to India. What happened during the fiery burn? I just got wet. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I crawled out the front window. All the doors were like uh, welded shut, and there was a fire in the back of it. And it just still it worked out, you know. So Look I like it. it when your near death experiences don't actually nearly kill you; they just <laughs> could have. I, I got to say, seeing your attitude when that happened, because I felt a little devastated, and you were like, "Well, you know, things happen, and you just got to roll with it." I was just like, "Holy fuck, Carl! Like you got such a good attitude." <laughs> um. So, what led you to who you are today? I know that's a huge question. You've lived a complicated life that I assume has had an array of experiences. Um, but what... When I first met you, let's just tell this story then. When I first met you, we were in India, and I was quite young. I think I was 24. And your stable, open-hearted presence was quite inspiring. And I'll tell you why it was inspiring. Um... When when people first enter a spiritual path, I don't want to generalize here, but I, it's been pretty common to observe, and I'm talking about myself at that point, there's a certain franticness to the whole thing. <laughs> and in that franticness, it's possible to become quite ungrounded. Um, you know, we start to tap into angels and fairies and all these things, and I remember talking to you about that, and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of more of a present moment kind of guy i'm just really here and at the time i didn't totally understand it but that came to be the type of spirituality that i now practice um so i'm not sure exactly what i'm saying here but i found that quite inspiring when i was a young a young man this is 10 years ago now um and so that was kind of one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you like what so what brought, what was your spiritual path like uh, whether it's awakening or the integration process like what made you who you are today well, you know, um, it always becomes complicated because um, 
you know, we are who we are. So what my spiritual path was within me, but I was completely, you know, ignorant of who I was until I was about like 19 years old. And I had a, a you know, sudden spiritual awakening that took me from not even, you know, having any belief in God or, or another, you know, reality, um, and no knowledge of meditation or, um, altered states of consciousness to like just being somebody else entirely. And I could see a number of factors, you know, were present to trigger that. But I know it was kind of within me waiting for me to be mature enough to, uh, to step into that the whole time. You know, I, I, I think of it as giving my past life inheritance. <laughs> but you're right that uh, when, 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 when people get into a spiritual path, then you know, there's, there's all this information and you get sensitive to all these things and they're very exciting and it, and it becomes like a hobby and, and something that makes you special. But at some point you realize that like the, in, the need to be special as an individual winds up being this carrot to chase that's actually the opposite path of being grounded in your spiritual nature, which for me isn't a particular person, you know, I just am. So I've I found a much um, I'm just grounded by nature. So I think it I wind up with very visionary friends because we I hold, I kind of keep their feet in the ground and they lift me up. Well, that's what what happened when I had met you. So that's really cool to hear. I, and I, I know that you're connected to so many people. So I'd imagine you have that effect and that connection to many many people, which is just beautiful. I like the symbiosis. You know, I like you know I have a lot, a lot of friends that somewhere on the spectrum to empathic to crazy to inspired to everywhere in between and and uh, I like that but you know just our strengths have a tendency to be our weaknesses and vice versa so I think we always have to uh, you know look out for that you know you can be super sensitive and it's easy to get you know wrapped up in the minutia and specialness of it all and you know if you're if you're grounded, there's a sort of a laziness and, you know, inertness that, that could be a side effect of that, too. So, I don't know, I always kind of question myself, but uh, accept myself at the same time, because we are who we are. I think that's actually one of the principles in Ayurveda, is that what comes naturally to us is something that we're probably going to have to be balancing out, <laughs> which is which is kind yeah. of funny. But, but as you said, you combine that with self-acceptance, too. So it's not like, oh my fuck, I'm so bad because I'm this, but to accept oneself is also to accept that there's a balancing process that may need to happen. Yeah. I agree. Um, we, we, you know, it, 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 we have a tendency to, by the way we're raised, um, develop an idealized self, a, a projected image of how we're supposed to be. Because when we're a kid, the world conditions us to, this is, this is how you are, this is how you live, this is what your goal should be whether it's the American dream or whatever, you know, the conditioning forces tell you is right. And so we compare ourselves with that and we develop a illusory self image based on our false comparisons with what we think should be perfect. And it, you know, it creates a, you know, an insecure identity that we become involved with. It's, you know, sort of got suffering built in. Absolutely. That's a really uh, beautiful way to put it as well. What would you recommend? So I, I always like to ask for the listener's sake, for a person who may be kind of stuck in that mire uh, of 
the insecure identity and as you said like that battle that happens how would you recommend a person start to take steps to see themselves outside of that well you know whereas a lot of people would say meditation um, you know is this step to you know circumvent the associative thinking about yourself all the time mind it just is really hard for people to jump into that when you're in that state so the initial key point I think is that be here now mindfulness to be present in the the moment paying attention to the you know feeling of abiding in yourself and being present with whatever is happening and just bring yourself back to the here and now repeatedly and repeatedly and that becomes a um it's like a muscle that gets stronger the more you do it and when your energy is collected in the present moment um you're more with yourself and you're more, your, your energy is all in one place and it creates a sense of presence that's fulfilling to be with. It gives you a place to be outside of your mind. And I, I think that if you really flex that muscle and just always be present, um, then, you know, meditation becomes possible. Then, um, you know, shifting over into the you know peace and love that you are in your essence becomes more possible. So I'm going to say mindfulness. There's a lot of different techniques people can do for that but you know it's 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 not a uh you know 15 minutes in the morning practice is something you bring yourself back to repeatedly over the day until it becomes second nature because it's unfulfilling not to be present in the here and now yeah that makes sense to me um you mentioned that love and peace is our essence could you go into that a little bit more for anybody who who's kind of new to this well you know um there's a lot of debate, like, what is love? You know, what love becomes this undefinable thing because it's so so grand and, and beyond our, our our mind. And some people say it's a verb and some people say it's this and that. But um, I think love is our essence. You know, in the Indian scriptures, the highest consciousness, which is our soul, which is God, is defined as sat-chit-ananda, which is existence, consciousness, and bliss. And it's almost self-explanatory, you know, existence, you know, to be is to exist. Consciousness is, you know, we only perceive that we are and the world around us by virtue of our consciousness. And bliss is more that feeling nature. So if you take bliss and you find an object for it, like bliss, in the, you know, in the presence of another person or another thing, becomes love. And uh, so love is our nature, um, the highest level of, of, you know, feminine polarity, the feeling response within us. And then it gets filtered through our mind and our expectations and that, that ego that, um, that needs validation and needs to feel special. So we, we take the unconditional love that, you know, is appreciative of seeing the perfection of everything. And we, uh, we, dial it down into, you know, the need to be affirmed by somebody loving us, you know, so that's, I think it's, it's very fulfilling to return to the essence of ourselves. And we find there that, you know, the, there's a love that we are, and it connects us to everything. That's wonderful. I remember seeing a, a series of videos that you created when you were in India, and we'll get into the fact that you travel there quite regularly. Um, but first, when you're talking about love, and love with another person i i think it's fair to say that a lot of relationships still have a lot of dysfunctional sort of qualities about them how would you discern the type of love that is healthy to experience with another person and a type of love that might not be as healthy 
Well, uh, again, I think this deciding line is um, is when you enter into love with another person with this business transaction sort of attitude of you're going to love me and only me, I'm going to love you and only you, and pretend that that, um, that that validates our existence and makes us special enough to feel okay about ourselves, like that's bound to failure. Um, you know, when love connects us with another person, uh, it's bound to bring our lessons. You know, relationships are this um, learning and evolving um, crucible, and you're just bound to have your lessons delivered to you in a relationship. Now, if you respond to that by going, oh, she's being mad at me, or he's being um, this way or this way, and I don't like it, um, then um, then you just create baggage in a, in a conflict that goes ever-deepening. But if you look at relationship as this um, force of evolution where your stuff is going to be triggered to show you your stuff, and then you're going to use that to work on it, then then whatever you encounter in relationship becomes a tool for evolution. It doesn't mean we don't get involved with relationships that maybe are a mistake and that it would be wise to get out of that that exists. But if you're going to be in a relationship, use it use it as a means of knowing yourself and knowing another person deeply and you know, ex- exploring what what relationship is showing us and how to go deeper in that and, and grow from it. Hey, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so you do a lot of travel to India in particular, hey? Yeah, I've been lived in India the last 13 or 14 winters. Yeah, what? and so what drew you to there originally? And can you tell me what some of your experiences there, maybe with different teachers or with different people you've met? Like I said, I met you and you are very well connected there as well. Um, can you just tell me some stories from India? <laughs> well, I mean... Here's a, the story with India was, you know, when I, I had this awakening, spiritual awakening, you know, then I had no context for it because, I, like I said, I didn't know meditation or altered states or it was even possible to have an experience of this other realm. So I felt really alone in, in that and, and, like, confused, like, until I, you know, encountered both shamanism and Eastern, you know, yoga and uh, gurus and things. And that showed me that it was possible to, you know, do actions and practices and intentions to have, you know, deepen the experience of ourselves. You know, they say happiness is within. So, you know, a direct approach to happiness is to change yourself within. And the Eastern philosophy had a, um, a uh, blueprint for that. So that attracted me to India and, you know, eventually got me there. I was on a scholarship to study Hindi with the university. But later went back because, you know, it's a, you know, spiritual place where this exists. And I wanted to get at the core of this. Now, India is also a very strange, different culture. So when you go there, um, you learn a lot of things that you didn't even expect to learn because instead of being surrounded by your own self-reinforcing cultural conditioning, it's somebody else's cultural conditioning, <laughs> which may not be good for them either, but at least it's not yours. And so you can see... <laughs> that being a human is neither of those things, right? So for me, it's a, been a combination of both. I live in Yosemite where it's snowy and cold in the winter. It's cheap in India. The food's good. Um, and there's a lot of places with the spiritual history. So the, the, the vibe is high, you know, and I feel the resonance of a high vibe in feeling lighter myself. You know, my 
purpose in, in being there. You know, I, I studied with a lot of teachers and I found them beneficial to myself. And, you know, you're, you're learning on levels that you're, you're not even perceiving always with your mind because we also perceive at deeper levels than our, you know, mental and visual perception. But, uh, you know, I don't know if that's been as true in recent years as I've sort of like established myself in a, a certain place that changes very slowly. And, you know, so do I serve, you know, other people and serve myself at the same time when I'm in India or I just slowly cook myself into a, a better place or, you know, is it a combination of all those things? I don't know. It just has become what I, you know, what I do. And I, I feel like that's my flow right now. Yeah. And so I love to talk about some more specific experiences, but I love what you said about how we learn on levels that are not just our mind and emotions. Um, could you explain sort of what that would be to a person if they were, if they didn't, just to become a little more aware of that process that we're taking things well, in. Well, you know, it, it's funny. We, we perceive people in all kinds of different levels, and our mind just sort of concatenates it to a, you know, a level of, of we're not really thinking about it. right? So if I meet you, I, I see your face and the way you express yourself, and I hear what you say, and my intellect you know, digests what you say, and maybe you're, you're cute or something, so you know, I, you know, I respond to... Uh, the level of, you know, somebody's beauty or something. And, you know, that's all on a certain level. But, you know, we just feel a certain way around people. There's a vibe, you know. Some people, you know, you have a gut feeling about. And so that sort of speaks to that they're like, and if you even touch somebody, hold their hand or whatever, there's there's energy there. It's not just the warmth of their hands or, or not. That we, we feel... A vibration, we feel a an inner connection, and because that's beyond our mind, and and we're not used to parsing that out, it just sort of gets mixed in with the totality of our perception. But uh, there, there, there's parts of us that are tuned into that sort of thing, and we even do perceive at a somewhat conscious level these things. But we just we we just haven't noticed it because it gets all bundled in with the same response. But if you hang around somebody who's aware at much, much deeper levels, there's, there's those levels in us have a tendency to connect and be informed by those people. So I've, when I, I met um, a master once, Papaji, Punjaji, and, uh, you know, by that time I'd been on the spiritual path for 10 years or something. And I didn't really, you know, once I got his basic download, I didn't have a lot of questions, but we just sat together and sort of eye gazed and was in his presence and the influence of that presence just silenced my mind and, and, uh, worked on me in ways that I, you know, I can't describe because they weren't my conscious level. I, you know, sometimes I say I should have a PhD in biochemistry because I'm able to, you know, synthesize, uh, amino acids in the proteins and build cells with them, you know, but nobody's giving me that PhD, right? Cause I don't know how I do that. So there's parts of me that I'm not aware of that are very adept at magical stuff. And this is just another example of that. That's really cool. So what, um, yeah. So if a person, let's say is just living their day to day life and they're a personality structure and they're a body and they haven't thought about it otherwise, it might be interesting to know that there is an underlying force that is organizing and that is connecting. And that is, as you said, 
uh, doing some pretty magical stuff, even though it could also be scientific, you know, science magic, magic science. <laughs> um, that's an interesting realization, though, to realize there's something deeper than our own direct thoughts and actions. Yeah, you know, it's it's very, you know, like our visual field is very distracting. You know, we see the world around us, or and, you know, hearing as well. But so the, the, the thing is, our, our, our senses are these approximators of the world around us. For example, our visual field, you know, we see visible light, but there's ultraviolet light, there's infrared light, there's, you know, cosmic rays, gamma rays, all kinds of radiation, cell phone conversations. It's all happening around us. Our eyes only catch a bit of the picture, and then that becomes the world to us. But it's just an approximation. It's it's sensory data. And so um, we tend to limit our world to the influence of what these overwhelming senses are are putting in our brain, but that's just a limited slice of the totality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when you are in India, you've probably experienced a few different masters and teachers and gurus, dare I say. Um, can you tell me about any experiences with some of those people and who they might be? Well, you know, it's 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 a little hard to say um, because... Um, One point I like to make is a lot of teachers and in, in, in the ultimate many of these mystic philosophies, there's a guru, which is a cosmic principle. It's the aspect of the spirit that gives grace and 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 prods us into evolution. And so um, it's said that this this force acts through those people who are able to, you know, empty themselves enough of their own, like, individual identity so that it works through them. So you might go to a, a master and 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 uh, very interesting synchronistic and energy shifts will happen. And so it's easy to idealize that person as like godlike figure and in some ways that's good for us because it really you know connects us with that person so these things can flow but the spirit is just really using that person as a transformer like an electrical transformer to so bring that like along so yeah. yeah so you'll find that all these gurus you know they seem perfect and then you find out later they had a sex scandal or you know have these personal foibles and imperfections and i found that to be almost universally the case even with the ones i thought had the most integrity you know people are human but i've also you know met these masters that you just being in their presence is uplifting and and if they give a talk to 100 people a great percentage of those people will feel like he just said something that i personally needed to hear that was a revelation for me and that's one of the signs of that this principle is working through a person or that you can even have a spontaneous awakening there's such a thing called kundalini awakening where there's a inner force within us that that's awakened and and takes action within us to spur our evolution and sometimes that's catalyzed by these masters i started out with a master in uh that came to California, Swami Muktananda, and if when he walked in the room, everybody could just feel it. There was people even had to be carried away from him because they had such an overwhelming response. But um, you know, there was hundreds of people around. So when I went to India, I, I was able to search out some masters that I could talk to and relate to on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and that was uh, a real blessing. And 
but you know, it's so, in some ways it's really hard to tell, you know, the depth and, and manner in which, you know, relating and hanging out with these people has transformed me because a lot of it, you know, happens on those levels where the, the mind doesn't get the details. Absolutely. And I've, there's people in my life that have absolutely had that effect on me as well. And being quite sensitive to um, people's energy fields, I've been able to learn a lot from people. Even reading a book, sometimes I can just tune into the author and actually get a lot yeah. more than what the book was even trying to give, you know? Um, yeah. So I got a question for you. When you mentioned that, um, because I've actually been focused on this in a few of the different podcasts about how we really should probably stop putting on people onto pedestals, because if we do find... They're, they're, they are human, so they'll fall off of it. How do you think that we could bring a new form of of mastery into the field where we can be vulnerable humans who have made mistakes and who have uh, are not perfect, but then also still be able to transmit these energies with each other and for each other? Well, I have two aspects of this I want to address. One is, in the guru thing, it's a catch-22 because... Um, you know, just like you say, you know, people start to look like their dogs or people are in partnerships and their energy starts to merge that, you know, really falling in love with the guru, you almost cannot um, avoid doing that. It's like making love with a beautiful woman that you're really connected with. You know, you're just going to tend to fall in love. And it might not be a bad thing because it, it deepens the connection, but then they're still a person. They may make mistakes and, and have limited humanness. So I think we can, you know, it's sort of like telling somebody who's in love, it's like, you're in love right now, don't make any rash decisions. Well, you know, they shouldn't. But on the other hand, you know, the, the tendency may be overwhelming. And so, you know, use some discernment and, you know, hold both things in your hands that that being connected is a good thing, but being rash and, you know, overboard is another. I do believe there's a new paradigm. Um, you know, we're coming out of very dark times in a way where few people had a spiritual interest and these schools with their gurus sort of kept those limited people that were into spirituality and awakening and kept that light alive and became a real, like, almost like monastic kind of discipline. I think there's a mass awakening now. There's more people that are in the spirituality, and there's more of a sense of that we're walking each other home, and we're being gurus to each other, and we're you know lifting each other up. So that paradigm of focusing on a central figure is easing up as we have more of a capability of waking up with our own devices. Um, it doesn't mean there's not a place for that for people that are serious about going deeper and and taking it further. But uh, I, I, I like to point out that that there there is a shift, and even the the people's work with psychedelics and ayahuasca um, is you know part of you know awakening coming to society in in a variety of different ways. I very much agree with that, and uh, and yeah, of course, there's still people that are going to be like good at what they do, and they can help and stuff. I just think it'd be super cool to be able to be like, oh, that person's good at what they do. They're also a human being. They're also, uh, we shouldn't give them too much power because they'll probably fuck it up because we always do. Um, but I love what you said, though, that there's a mass awakening. So I'm, I'm very tuned into that because the people around me are very tuned into that. And one of the coolest things for me is that people from my high school growing up that would have been troubled suddenly go through their own shift in consciousness and then suddenly go through these awakenings. And it's just amazing to be a part of and to observe 
So I guess my question is, when when we're talking about this mass awakening, and I know it's going to be a little bit different for everybody, what do you see as as the potential for the next like 20, 30 years um, when it comes to this? Well, I think we can see that the awakening is um, is accelerating, and it's possible to you know sort of do the math on society and see that you know that there's some critical junctures that we may arise at. We see these increase in earthquakes and hurricanes and natural disasters, climate change, and and uh, you know you could think that you know some radical shift or a disaster is coming may or may not happen that might that might be in the collective potential it may or may not happen so you know at some point this awakening may reach a critical mass and then we might have an unexpected flowering but you know the potential for um you know radical changes and events to be a part of it is is there and maybe nothing happens so really speaking i'd make the case that it's hard to make any kind of case anything could happen and um it's like there's so it much potential be, energy. It, it, yeah, there's so much potential. Yeah, it, it may be the unfolding of a of, of a gradual process, but, you, you know, like all of a sudden something happens and you can never know when. And um, so and, and different things come in. Like I could have, you know, 10 years ago I would have said, we're about to hit peak oil and, and you know, that's going to create – a stress as the world demands more oil it's not there it becomes more expensive agriculture is harder to do travels restricted economies are affected and i could have made a like an airtight case that this is going to happen and for better or worse with you know shale oil and fracking you know created a whole new supply in oil which has you know the negative effect of you know lowering the oil prices so we're burning more and creating more climate change but on the other hand we're not suffering from the you know the, the crisis of, you know, agricultural failure and restricted travel from an oil crisis. So, you know, we don't know how things are going to unfold. Um, I think the, the point is to, like, be here now and, you know, act from, you know, your unfolding path and intuition and act accordingly. And that'll, you know, put you in the right place at the right time to do the right thing when it's the time to do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you mentioned psychedelics earlier. Um, what has been your experience with um, with those, and what's kind of what? How do you see that as being a, a helpful effect in people's awakening process? Yeah, well, you know, it's tough to talk about because governments still sanction that quite severely. Whether it's a knee jerk reaction from the past, or uh, you know, trying to keep people in the status quo. I don't know. Uh, here in the United States, there's a lot of new research being done on a scientific level with things like MDMA for uh, you know traumatic um, stress disorder survivors and um, you know mushrooms for terminally ill patients and depression and things. And that's getting quite validated. Um, I think you know everything that's powerful also has dangers. And just like we're would make that point that gurus. Um, you know, might have these powerful transforming um, potential. They're also humans and have their flaws. You know, in psychedelics, I you know, make that same thing possible. It's it's possible to see past the mental rut that you're in when you shift into a different perspective with psychedelics, and it can also you know open us to levels within ourselves that have been shut down or denied, and give us the opportunity to work out trapped denials and see beyond 
you know, our limited perception into a greater world. But, uh, you know, also keep your feet in the ground and take it with a grain of salt because, you know, the potential for um, having a confused or deluded view or moving through a period like that is very real as well. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And it's definitely echoed my own experiences with psychedelics, which have been so helpful. And MDMA has been so therapeutic and acid has been so enlightening. Um, but also recognizing that there are states and stages of consciousness has been helpful to me. So we can enter a state that we're not necessarily ready to integrate. And it's important to just be really honest with ourselves about that process. Like, okay, cool. I've experienced something that is very enlightened or very therapeutic healing, but I still need to integrate that into my everyday regular consciousness in order to make that, um, which is a very grounded, steady sort of process, you know, like in order to make it helpful or useful in life. Yeah, absolutely. Once you see God, don't, you know, don't jump on the street corner and become a preacher because, you know, you know, like, uh, we going off half cocked. There's a, a psychedelic saying is like, if you think you can fly on LSD, then start from the ground, not up on the roof. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's an incredibly good metaphor. Um, so, is there anything else about your experience in India before we wrap that sort of part of this up that you'd want to express? Well, you know, I think it's because we get the, our experience gets normalized. You know, we're in our regular culture. We get used to everything around us so um, profoundly that we make assumptions about ourselves in a certain way that just being in any very other culture is a transformative experience. And then, you know, I don't want to idealize India, you know, it's it's the issues of caste, of the place of women, very real issues. You know, there's wonderful things about the West and our freedom and enlightenment here. There's thing, wonderful things about the East and the freedom and enlightenment there. I think it's good to have a taste of both and take the best of both. I'm not going to um, idealize either of them, and in some ways, neither of them are the solution. You know, you don't have to go to India, but... Uh, it's a tool and to go to a place that challenges you and opens your horizons and has you see different people in different circumstances. Um, I think it's good. And I think it's good not to go so much as a tourist where you see a million different places you know, go to India, go to some special places, spend, you know, a few weeks or longer in each place so that you have a chance to sink in and get more intimate. Yeah, well, I actually hope to see you there next winter because me and a friend are planning a trip. So not this one, but next. Yeah, I, I you know, I, like I say, I don't really know about the future, but I've been going every year, and I have another ticket back in January. So you know, Look, chances are good. Hopefully, sooner I also, or later, we'll I also happen to know that you're a Tauros in astrology, and I know we don't want to get too uh, grounded or too um, identified with our with our signs, but there's a stability in that Tauros that I'm going to trust on this one. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, I resisted being a Taurus because the, uh, you know, the sort of uh, quick hit people go, Tauruses are stubborn, and that sounded really kind of dense. And but uh, you know, I I got a you know, Tauruses are really like grounded and sort of ruled by Venus, you know, sort of a little bit um, beauty and pleasure and all that sort of stuff. But there's uh, there's some 
there's some side bonuses to the Taurus aspect. <laughs> they're absolutely. Absolute I see balance by a lot of other things, so yeah. I can live with it. Yeah, there absolutely is, man. I've actually come to appreciate as a I'm an Aquarius and quite intense into the air and fire aspects of my life. Um, but as I'm aging and as I'm experiencing life, actually, the more grounded elements are starting to make themselves known in my life, <laughs> uh, which has actually been quite helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nice how that works, you know. It's fun. You uh, you do like mature and ground as you get older, and but you know you lose some of your youthful energy at the same time. So yeah, and the hor- life is always full of these trade offs. Christ, the hormonal thing is nice though. That's one I remember just thinking like, as I yeah. like my literal drives have changed. I'm like, oh, that makes things a little easier. <laughs> well, you know, and sometimes I like to think that I've gotten myself wiser and more balanced, but. Maybe some of it is just getting older. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's good not to be led around by the crotch. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so profoundly, although, you know, I haven't, I haven't given up on all that. No, it all has its time. So. It all has its time and place, yeah. but I just noticed that there's yeah, a... I recommend Tantra for people. I think it's a good practice. We'll talk about Tantra a little bit, and then we'll, and then we'll start to wrap up. Well, you know, when we talk about relationships and this life force energy... Um, you know, the, there's things built into relationships that become defeating within the relationships. Like you, you're with somebody 24 seven and your energy is just merged to the extent that there's no polarity anymore. You become them and they become you. And there's not this flow that's created in between. And, uh, and for men, if you, if you have sex a lot, you know, especially as you get older, it, 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 there's a depletingness to your energy in it. And then some inner part of you starts to resent that and and recoil against it because it's just sort of draining you. So a tantra is, it becomes this a sexual tantra, becomes this management of the life force energy uh, within you so that relationships become uplifting spiritually and sexuality becomes a, a pathway to bring energy higher between two people in, 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 instead of in, instead of depleting. So, you know, for a guy that's oftentimes learning to um, be sexual without ejaculating all the time and still have that be an energizing and deeply fulfilling sharing. And, and maybe you don't sleep in the same bed as the same person. This is a human design idea um, every single night so that you can rest in your own energy. And then when you're with your other person there's an energy that flows between you because you're not too full of each other so there's ways of managing the life force energy and the communion that we share and can bring more consciously into communing with a person while we're being sexual with them um you know there's there's ways of making relationship into an ongoing uplifting practice and not one that unintentionally um, makes us sick of the other person. Hey, that's a, that's a, I think a lot of people could hear that, to be honest. So, uh, and for anyone who's interested in practicing Tantra, there's resources up the yin-yang out there. Um, you mentioned human <laughs> design. It's funny, I was actually going to wrap it up, but you mentioned human design. That's something that I studied about 10 years ago, and just recently it's been really coming back into the fold for some reason in the communities that I'm in. And it's really quite a fascinating astrology that was just kind of came out of nowhere and, and is really... Mm, it's been really helpful for me. I, I'm a projector, and so learning how to um, 
remember to that if I'm not invited into something, not to push too hard, <laughs> and and to ensure that um, because a projector merges with people quite regularly to take space for myself has been really helpful for me to re-remember. Um, what is what is your human design feature, and what do you think of that system in general? Well, you know, I'm a manifesting generator, and you know, I, I used to, you know, like it'll be. Facebook friends with some human design people, including the originator that challenged, challenged, channeled the whole thing. But truly speaking, I don't know much about it. And, you know, I've just caught some ideas from them, such as the thing about invitation or the thing about sleeping by yourself sometimes or all the time. And so, you know, I've just taken what rings of truth and made use of it. And, you know, I go to an Indian astrologer every year and he, he gives me some some pointers of like maybe when I shouldn't go on an epic motorcycle ride or <laughs> when to keep my health insurance up or, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, it, again, it's just another one of those powerful things that can have a drawback if you, if you um, get too into it, yeah, yeah. too much power. So yeah, yeah uh, I'll, I'll get more into it sometime, but I don't need to be told more about myself to get more confident or to, you know, like, obsess about my identity going forward in the future but you know if i i think if there's something i need to know then hopefully the opportunity will come before me to so, go deeper with it right so even in this podcast we've brought up astrology now human design uh, um, psychic readings that come from astrology but it's cool because just like everything we've talked about today it's possible to experience those things without putting them onto pedestals it's possible to gain something from those things without uh, limiting ourselves by the the dogmatic beliefs in them as well. I think that that yeah, there's there's waves of bullshit out there too. Of like, um, you know, there's there's people that have sort of gone off the deep end with themselves, and they may actually have some good information and some information that's just basically crackpot. You know, taken out of the collective fear or the you know the collective subconscious. And so you know when you when you when you make a a hobby of being special and knowing special stuff, then you know you could get wrapped up in the flat earth or some other thing that doesn't really have a practical application. It makes you feel special because you've got the, you know, secret knowledge of the cabal conspiracy or whatever. But uh, you know, the real spiritual practitioners they like to restrict the um, the questions. So what's practical? What affects your heart and mind? You know, in your life. Because otherwise, you know, the rabbit hole is too deep. You are preaching to the choir. Um, I would love to wrap this up by asking a question I ask every podcast guest. And it's not the easiest to answer, but could I just ask, if you had one thing that you could say to the whole world, for some reason, um, a world broadcasting system said, Carl, come on up here. What do you got to say? And you've got one or two sentences. <laughs> what would you want to say to the world? Well, you know... What it, instead of preaching, I just like to extend my love to each and every person um, who I believe to be, you know, reflections of of a soul, of a divine consciousness. That, that everybody is eventually going to make it on their path, and just to you know um, create an intention for you know evolution, love, and happiness in your life, and be sincere about it, and everything will take care of it. So from there, I just want to wish everyone peace and love. That's a beautiful thing to say. Thank you so much, Carl. It's wonderful to have you on here. 
Thanks, and, uh, to, you know, yeah, so that really goes out to everybody who might hear this, wishing you the best, and um, thanks for giving me a platform to, you know, to, to share, and, and, and always great to reconnect with you. Yeah, I love you, man. Love you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for the podcaster today, send an email to questionjcp at gmail.com. That's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-J-C-P at gmail.com.